entirely different. I was like, We're also a bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I was just like, look, you know, like these are. This is really cool to me because I'm getting to talk about books that I would not normally pick up in my day to day life, and I get to experience a bunch of different people's opinions and thoughts on these things. So this is cool. And by the end of it, she's like, yeah, actually, that does sound kind of tight. And I was like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, like don't join our book hub. You don't have to. I mean, obviously, you got enough book clubs <laughs> in your life, but, you know, you're ever bored on, a, you know, the third Thursday, just come on down. Or the fourth Monday. Or the fourth <laughs> or the Monday fourth or Wednesday. whatever. <laughs> we just, made it impossible. Um, I was just like, yeah, just, like, come on down and join us because this isn't an exclusive or exclusionary kind of a thing. The it's thing just, is, I was telling this about Hetty. We're, we're going to start in a minute, but does this thing, is this on yet? So it, are you getting all this? Okay. <laughs> well, we're just talk, chatting, but I'll, I'm yeah. going well, to start us off by levels. introducing the book. But I was telling Hetty, like, no one bought her drink in Albuquerque. It didn't really matter. It, it's about yeah. talking about it more. It's about the story. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it actually does anything, it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's the story. I'm just staying, like, do, you know. So, so what I thought I would do whenever we're ready is... Um, introduce I'm, i'll just introduce the book we can do our like explain all this at the end maybe but yeah. i was just going to start generally with some comments uh, and like just to get us rolling yeah i love this book so much i have so much more material than we could possibly hit cool but i was just going to get us kind of rolling by top like introducing the book which i yeah so should we start yeah well also the other thing is i think you should start um getting the, the one thing that sucks about podcasts is that you're gonna have a buttload of raw audio mm-hmm. that then needs to get cut down and uh, consolidated, a and manageable length, edited into like a cohesive thing. You know, so when people go off on tangent or you know, yeah, and you can also come back in later with um, segues or bridges. Well, and like I, you know, if we get super awkward, we could just because I want it to be real conversational. That's what I like about podcasts. Yeah, is they tend to sound that way. Yeah, well, um, the but good there's ones. a lot of yeah. There's some suck ones. That well, are just I was like, on oh, one. God. I was on one that I thought. So it was, was terrible, really. But he had a good voice. But then what he said was black yeah, there's, a, there's this one person that I generally, like, I like the... Actually, I've got a couple that I like the... Um, the presenter, I like the um, people who are on the show. I cannot stand the format of it, and I can't stand their editing. Like, um, Masters of Scale is the... Is this I, muted? Sorry. Masters of Scale. Masters of Scale. I can't stand the producer. He's. I think he was like. A, he might have been the guy who started LinkedIn, but he's annoying as shit. Everyone who's on there and the ideas presented are great. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I will like the present. I will like the guest, but not the presenter. <laughs> Fire Drill is interesting, but it's too like millennials. Disrupt yourself with Melissa Smith. It's terrible. But again, presenters ideas yeah. great, but the. And, and Money Girl, I couldn't. I actually had to quit listening to her. <laughs> she made me angry. <laughs> That's no good. I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. It was bad. Sure. <laughs> of course. Yes. The jet engine. Okay, I'm gonna hold for a second then. Look at that. Okay, look at all my notes. Oh man, that's cool. I got the paper one. Yours is cooler than mine. Yeah, I kind of like the paperback one. I like one. the paperback one. Although, does yours have... Yeah, yours got the cool, like, offset paper, too. Yeah, so is that from just, like, they stitch it and then they don't trim it? Yeah. I... Okay. I was curious about that. Yeah, because, like, if you look at the top of it... <laughs> <laughs> We're so nervous. Yeah. 
No, if you look at the top of it, um, I'm just clumsy, man. I've had a long day already. Um, it mimics the bottom with little... The stitches. Stitchings. All right. All right, hold on. So, does this need to be on, off? Are you recording all this? Okay. And how's it picking up, do you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Well, because uh, your punishment for being here late is that I made a list <laughs> for cool. you of stuff I walked around and looked at. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> I can always use more lists. <laughs> I made it for you. It's for Robin Um No, thank you. All right. Um, all right. Should we just get started? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just like, home. enough. Let's go enough of the shit. All right, this is Modern General's first podcast of our book club. Our second book of the year is Pima Shadron's When Things Fall Apart, and I learned today that I have been mispronouncing her name for about 10 years. How do you pronounce it? It's Pima, which I was saying Pima, which is just... I got Pema. <laughs> it's right. Pema. So I feel good about that. And then it's like Shadron, not Chodron. Okay, I was super. <laughs> like I, I was like, She's my no, hero, children. and I fully had her name wrong for children. years. So, uh, when things fall apart, and I wanted to talk a little bit just about this book in general, and when I read it, and then I thought we could just get into stuff. Um, I read this book this fall after we had opened two restaurants in one week, and I was home in Bellingham where I grew up. My dad's having all sorts of health issues, and I always go through after an opening. Um, what can only be called postpartum depression. And so I was just like super, super in the weeds, I think, uh, just emotionally, and I couldn't kind of get it back together. And one of the things, I read this book, and I actually went to Village Books in Bellingham and and found it. Um, Did you just find it like randomly? Yes. You were there looking for something to read? Yes, that's what I just like, I go down to this one section and it's like, you know, sort of the spiritual self-helpy section where all the depressed people are. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was down there and I just picked it up because I, I, I've i read more Thich Nhat Hanh than Pema. I'm totally, and I should say, and both of us are, let's be honest, we're dilettantes. We don't know shit about Buddhism, but obviously we have no. the flotsam and jetsam that we, but like people who are questing all have little bits of it. So most of my experience of it has been through Thich Nhat Hanh though. And, and He's amazing as well. Um, cool. but she references him too. Yeah, amazing. yeah. But there, I think um, I love her so much. I love that she swears. I've I've picked up every um, I've I underlined every curse passage in here because I think it's just so she just speaks real talk. Yeah. And so that idea of like I'm just exhausted from an opening, just kind of you just feel very depleted and also but also kind of like you hate your baby and want to smother it a little bit. Right. And. Uh, one of the things that's just a constant refrain in this book, and I, I will go kind of and go more into this, is like the idea of not trying to pull yourself back together. Yeah. Not, not. There's no ground un, underneath us to be had, right? Like that's not real. And right. that way that we try to like rehearse our storylines, pull it all back together, um, is is kind of the problem that right. we have. We're creating a fake narrative to keep ourselves comfortable. Right, exactly. And the, there's an opportunity when you're feeling 
when things have fallen apart to really break through um, just to a, a deeper level of, of I'm good okay sound check sound check um, <laughs> so anyways um, I think this is the kind of book the last thing kind of generally about it this is the kind of book that I should be reading a chapter every day because you promptly forget it yeah well I think this is also the type that you can revisit so many different times like I actually I had a harder time getting through this book than the last one not because I was not engaged but because I'd read something and like that's cool next day uh, like did I really understand that or do I need to go back and check it out again so I've probably skipped back and forth rereading chapters so much more here because there's so much more to get out of it right which well, is cool one of the things that happened like I thought it was well there's so many books that you read that they're they're intellectually stimulating there's great ideas and you go oh my god that's a great idea or that's true I want to bring that into my life but then there are some books and this was one for me where as you are reading it the words pierce through the sort of blubber of bullshit that you're carrying that you're carrying yeah. and they change you right in that moment in real time like so you know just hella depleted hella feeling sorry for myself hella just like what in the heck am I doing all of a sudden like I was like everything's fine like and like th this is exactly where I'm supposed to be and like her words were like changing me in real time which is maybe from you know like Anne Lamott's book I love her and she you know but it's written from a different place right yeah so you're you're not getting the experience of someone who's like Pema Pema is just so just down at this level you know where it just like I was really really affected by those words in a really positive way I felt like a different person yeah. after I read certain well, chapters I loved how she kept on hammering um the idea of impermanence mm -hmm. and in different she'd come at it from different angles but it seemed like a one really nice theme throughout the entire book where she's talking about how nothing is permanent and rather than being upset that we find ourselves in a state we don't like to be in or things aren't what we want them to be instead noticing and noticing what we're feeling and start trying to unpack it why are we feeling that way Exactly. And like, I think this is a great one for you and me, actually for restaurant people, for all people. But restaurants are weirdly like a Petri dish with the perfect, what is that stuff called? That goo auger or so, whatever they grow. It is auger auger that they grow it in. That they grow all the nasty on. Like restaurants are a Petri dish or like a pressure cooker for all of the like normal human emotions. Like, cause it's just so intense and you yeah. have so many different characters and you're trying to push things out in a certain, there's a time pressure on everything. So, you know, the ability to have that break where you, you just observe something, you know? Like and just let it be yeah. for what it is. Yeah. And, and instead of reacting, just calmly take stock. Right, which is a, a huge reminder for me because, for instance, I just, like, someone just quit because I yelled at them, you know? Right. And if I had taken a moment and not reacted... Like I was this, I, I underlined this passage. Although in the in the restaurant petri, petri dish of things, I think that that <laughs> it just was okay too. Was accelerated what happened was okay. Yes. For what was already there. I agree. I agree. <laughs> but I but uh, I love how she talks about like I, I underlined this quote. Sometimes we're going to find ourselves completely caught up in a drama, 
were going to be just as angry as if someone had just walked into the room and slapped us in the face. Then it might occur to us, wait a minute, what's going on here? We look into it and are able to see that out of nowhere, we feel that we have lost something or been insulted. Where this thought came from, we don't know, but here we are, hooked again by the eight worldly dharmas. Um, I yeah. get mixed, like, I'm like, you know, you, you'll be just floating along, and then all of a sudden, you, you literally are acting like someone just slapped you in the face. Right. Like, it's that Everything powerful. Everything is wrong and horrible. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you don't even know where that came from at all. And the difference is that I realize that, because I've been reading this stuff and trying to, pre- you know, walk this walk for a while... But I had just I had just started to guilt myself about deeper things, right? Mm-hmm. That cycle of samsara, that like sort of human clinging. Mm-hmm. You can do that about anything. You can do it about really shallow shit like money, yep. or you can do it about being enlightened. And I was like beating myself. I I find myself if I'm beating myself up, it's now I'm not a good enough person, right? Right. Yeah. I, and it's it, you know, and she says that, and it's super true. We beat ourselves harder than we will be anyone else like everyone else in our lives we treat with kindness and love in the way that we want to be treated however we treat ourselves with such severity or maybe i shouldn't stop talking generalizations but i do that for myself no i think absolutely that's where she talks about love matri loving kindness i'm probably butchering that pronunciation too but that idea of being just a little bit more gentle yeah and extending that gentleness to ourselves Mm -hmm. which is hard is so true. That's the other. She she literally says, which is this isn't new, but it's the way she puts it that you can't extend compassion to others if you don't have compassion for yourself. Um, and I love that idea of Tonglin, the meditation practice where mm-hmm. you, you breathe in your own shit. Yes. And but you 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 couple that with wanting to give compassion out, like because we understand that whatever we're suffering from someone else is suffering from well, too it's, it's you're breathing in the suffering mm-hmm. and you're breathing out loving like a kindness juju. Yeah. yeah i love that 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 like works very powerfully for me i was actually as as i was reading that i was practicing that because i, I was telling nicole this i was having such a hard time reading this book about enlightenment <laughs> while nolan is in my face jamming a rescue bot in between me and the book hey check this out check this out you know daddy check this out and i'm like ah and then, you know, we get to that part, and I'm like, no, this is, everything that we're talking about here is so manifest right now in <laughs> no, my current it's so existence. True. This is out of control. So, like, breathe in the Oh, annoyance. my God, I think I have an exact... Breathe out the love. <laughs> I'm the master of that. I will say some, like, snarky, irritable comment to Jeff when I'm, like, reading about enlightenment, you know? It's like... Trying to get enlightened right now. Please get out of my way. <laughs> I wanna, um... Oh, man. Oh, and it was so cute, too. Like, they just pick up so fast. Um, later, Nolan was, uh, you know, quote, reading his book. And he's like, um, Daddy, please don't interrupt me, okay? I'm reading my book. <laughs> he's like, oh, man. Like, awesome. All right, buddy, I'll, I'll give you time. I'm sorry. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was super cute. Um, super funny, though. I was like, oh, my God. Out of control. Okay, this is... Here's an example. I Okay. <laughs> Rather than letting our negativity get the better of us, we could acknowledge that right now we feel like a piece of shit and not be squeamish about taking a good look. That's the compassionate thing to do. That's the brave thing to do. We could smell that piece of shit. We could feel it. What is its texture, color, and shape? She's just like, I just love how not up on some crazy pedestal she is. She just speaks to right where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another 
Well, it's cool too when she's talking about being completely honest with herself when she took over the monastery. Yes. And I was like, that is really incredibly cool to read about this. Where she's like, yes, I have this prestigious post. I feel at this point I've been in the practice for so long and everything falls apart. I just am having a terrible time and nobody likes me. I'll be darned. And then uses that to really talk about the like yeah. getting out of your own way. Exactly. And like cuz you wouldn't expect that from her at the point, you know, she here she's leading this monastery and she's but she's she's so honest, you know? Yeah. Well, like I want to be that honest, you know? Absolutely. Well, when I started the book, the very first uh, introduction is um, I'm on a year sabbatical and I'm looking through recordings of past lectures trying to find this book and it was for me off-putting because I was like wow like you get to take a year to just explore yourself like isn't that so interesting well of course you can write about enlightenment and then start reading it like no way this is like legit she's actually like talking about her failures and her because I thought she was going to be preaching Mm -hmm. you know like because it came in my mind from a place of look at what I've already done look at where I'm at and so I assumed that that was the, the base point, but it was not. It's just like, this is the kickoff for where I was at that point, and I'm not a perfect human being. Uh, yeah, I think of all the sort of guru types, she feels the most real to me. Like, admit, super, talks the most real. real. Talks about when your white suit gets tomato sauce on it. Like, talks about, mm-hmm. like, I love that line in there. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to read, this line cracked me up so much, this part, where she's talking about before she had gone into Buddhism, and she lived in New Mexico, yeah. which is cool, too. Also super sick, yeah. So she's talking about, okay, I remember so vi- vividly a day in early spring when my whole reality gave out on me. Although it was before I'd heard any Buddhist teachings, it was what some would call a genuine spiritual experience. It happened when my husband told me that he was having an affair. We lived in northern New Mexico. I was standing in front of our adobe house drinking a cup of tea. I heard the car drive up and the door bang shut. Then he walked around the corner, and without warning, he told me that he was having an affair and he wanted a divorce. I remember the sky and how huge it was. I remember the sound of the river and the steam rising up from my tea. There was no time, no thought, there was nothing. Just the light and a profound, limitless stillness. Then I regrouped and picked up a stone and threw it at him. (laughs) I love that. I just love it because it's so savage. He rolls up and he's like, by the way, cheating on you, I want a divorce. I will see you later. And she's like open enlightenment and it's like and I need this rock right now yeah and that's so life right like the beauty of the environment behind everything those moments of just profound palpable sensual experience yeah. where it's like the sky the air and then I regrouped and threw a rock at him I just love well, that, that that passage is so real too because mm-hmm. I can like I've had times in my life in which I've had some super devastating emotional blow like that in which everything just stops and there's a stillness but instead of um, kind of romanticizing that and talking about how profound and amazing it was, she just keeps on going with that same honesty. And then I picked up a rock, <laughs> the moment was ended, and I threw it I, at him. I regrouped, and that kind of gets at, like, that's what we do. Like, because we're right on the verge of some major breakthrough, and then we regroup, you know, and get mad and yeah. do something about it, you know? Yeah. And that's what we're up against, you know? I've been, we're going to read a book later called the tangled tree that talks a lot about well it just the origins of you know 
evolution and the way you know what we descended from and and how it's so much more complex than we think and reticulated which means it's more of a web than a tree but you realize there's something about being human having legs having to move for our food that on a very you know biological level we are driven to have to do something about something yes there always has to be action yeah it's like we're, we're just we're we're restless and curious down in our dna um as a survival strategy really but then here we've been given this brain and this consciousness that gives us perspective on that right um which is why shit is so crazy <laughs> right know? and well it's also why we can't get out of our own way because mm-hmm. we are constantly assessing um from a very basic level you know the threat and trying to figure out where the resources are where the threats are it's so rare that we are actually present in a space and honestly listening to ourselves and the cues around us to really tell us where we're coming from. Like, right. I think for the most part, we don't have no idea why we do what we do. Not really. Well, and there's those breaks that she talks about, like just the moment where you just don't do anything. The, the bummer about our modern world is we have filled up every one of those. The, you used to be forced to have a moment, a moment of boredom, a moment of space. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, she calls it always thinking that, you know, always calling the babysitter, a, another right. hysterical metaphor. I mean, she kind of calls that theism, but also just that belief that there's always, you know, something that can be done to quell our internal angst. We now have something that not only can be done, it's because she talks about, you know, grasping at, you know, you know, whether it's sex or drugs or, or whatever. But, it's, but now it's just life. Now it's just like we, we get to feel like we're being purposeful and, and, you know, productive at every fucking moment of the day, right? We're supposed to be checking an email. We're supposed to be, you know, reading a blog. We're supposed to be checking Instagram. Like th- those little things are like they really play on our need for purpose and are also our st- like terror about the the groundlessness that is that is the juice she's talking about yes yes absolutely so i feel like we're feeling like you, we, we need to carve those moments out for ourselves because they don't just happen anymore well the, the thing that was insane to me too is again reading the book realizing that i was forcing myself to read the book and not feeling guilty about it because it was something that i had um, agreed to do but realizing that I was justifying it to myself. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was... Because I love reading. It's been a, a lifelong passion of mine. And it has suddenly become something that I feel like I have to justify to myself. Mm-hmm. Am I spending my time wisely? Am I being productive? Am I constantly producing? Mm-hmm. And when I was doing that, the breathing exercise, breathing in the pain and breathing out the love, it was like, I've forgotten how to live to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Which is insane, but mm-hmm. it was that was one of the epiphanies that I had while reading the book is that I'd forgotten how to give myself those joyous experiences in which time didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So that's what reading always was for me. It was not feeling this need to be anywhere else but this book or this wonderful world that somebody had crafted, and losing myself for sometimes hours, sometimes days in that world. And all of a sudden now it's like, well, did I do everything? Did I get my oil changed? Am I up on my taxes? I'm right there with you. Because one of the things 
when we opened this many restaurants now and we are what we are now I feel what we have like I feel harassed sometimes attacked by tasks that have to be, get done now a lot of them if I think about it I actually love doing them but the way that I the way that I am registering how many fucking things there are to do <laughs> yeah. it feels like an assault like a bunch of wasps or something right oh, absolutely like I'll like and but that's my anxiety fear brain which she says is just about that's really about being afraid of dying like when you when you do that mm-hmm. exercise where you keep asking like why are you afraid of that thing you end up getting to the ultimate because I'm afraid I'm gonna end up you know like without food or shelter on a corner somewhere dying like it always goes back to, to it always ends up going back to that because I but that little that little fear thing of yeah like all the stuff that we're supposed to do like it's it's like well, I want to live my life where there's just a joyous turning to the next thing and then the next thing right and that that joyous turning and that joyous like acceptance of death in a metaphorical sense all of the various things either about ourselves relationships you know clothing whatever it is are essentially dying or leaving our lives transferring into something different and learning to face those changes with joy rather than with fear and I have a lot of that I have certain things where if I value something enough I don't ever want to use it because I don't want it to wear out and I don't want it to die. I have two of my favorite fountain pens because I don't want this fountain pen to leave my life because I love it. Like, that's, I can't find it in here, but when, what you just said made me think about, like, there are deaths every day and the, those things that you just have to, like, just face in disappointment without freaking out or, or things not going your way. Those are, like, these little deaths that yeah. instead of just letting stuff die, you know, letting the like, letting it just pass through the disappointment, just wave through as an energy thing. But it we takes, hold on to them. Yeah, um, we hold on tight because mm-hmm. I think it takes a deeper understanding of ourselves to recognize that that's the reason that we feel the way we feel. This is so good. Okay, so from an awaken awakened perspective. T- trying to tie up all the loose ends and finally get it together is death because it involves rejecting a lot of your basic experience. There's something aggressive about that approach to life, trying to flatten out all the rough spots and imperfections into a nice smooth ride. To be fully alive, fully human, and completely awake is to be continually thrown out of the nest. Yeah. Which was really great checking in with this because I've read a lot of different things that allude to that or speak to that but in reading this it was so um, relevant to my life right now it's like I have got to let go I have got to just allow life to be what it is and love every second of it because when I look at it I am living my best life I'm living an amazing existence Mm -hmm. and I'm so miserable because I'm constantly trying to hang on to this idea of what I think it should be. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is, and I know this, is that it's exactly what it should be. Right. I need to get out of the way and <laughs> let it be that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so true. That's the um, the four Maras part where she talks mm-hmm. about the Skandamara has to do with how we always try to recreate ourselves, try to get some ground back, try to be 
who we think we are. Who we think we are. Yeah. Yes, who we think we are. Which I this book it made me start thinking about well, what it, what is it that I actually think that I am? <laughs> I've never really thought of that that before. Yeah, because we weird. always we always have these running we have these running um, sort of like profit and losses or like deficits in our mind, like right, like. I'm supposed to be here, but I'm here. So right. you're always kind of like living. And in fact, Americans, like, we deify that. We think that's how to be a, good, a great person, is to constantly be aware of your shortcomings and... And, 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 and striving for that mm-hmm. perfection in our minds. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with... Oh, well, that brings us to the craziest chapter in this whole book, I think, is the one on hopelessness, right? Yeah. Which I thought, because she flat out says it, dude. Like, hope is fucking you up. Yep. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I've never thought about it like that. And I think she probably means something a little bit different than the warm, fuzzy hope that, like, Christians or, like, Anne Lamott's book kind of talks about. Right. But at the same time, I thought that was really, really freaking freeing in a way, because it's true. It's absolutely freeing in a very profound way, because giving up on hope, giving up on that Tomorrow will be better. Need. And like it's about like throwing away the moment over and over again. Mm-hmm. Which I think the way that she frames it is that hope is uh, greed, because we're looking for that sort of uh, shelter, whether it's emotional or otherwise, in hope. And allowing that to not be a thing is absolutely incredibly freeing when it doesn't matter whether or not what you want comes to be. It just is. I like everything just is. This is what, when I've been writing a lot about eating lovingly and a different way to eat, it's like part of what bothers me about diets or cleanses or the whole 30 or any detox or anything that anyone's is 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 like it's part of this belief and or this hope that tomorrow I can eat perfect and my life will be perfect as a result and Mm -hmm. the reality is like what you have is today your messy snickers butterfinger life right now like and how can you be a little bit better today instead of always going on some honestly violent new kick because it's coming from a place of rejecting something about yourself, right? Mm-hmm. There's some rejection, some shame about your body, some shame about something. And then instead of just sinking down into that, feeling through it, and trying to love yourself a little bit more, which is really freaking hard and is actually the hardest thing, we'll go on a kick. And I love a kick more than anyone. But That's like, great. <laughs> and, and within reason, right? Though, but I've had yeah. to check myself if I'm always thinking like, oh, tomorrow I'm going to and everything's going to be fine, you know? Right. Because it's always coming at us. Tomorrow's always coming at us today in in a messy moment, just like right now. Yeah. You know, it never gets here. Well, like we were talking about earlier when I was talking about my career, and I was like, oh, as soon as I make chef, then I'm going to be perfect. And then made set and then I made chef and I was like wow there's all these challenges that I didn't even see Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe wow that that person was so good at their job I have a lot to learn oh my god and so suddenly that place that like a point of perfection as I saw it in my mind suddenly becomes just as messy as my life has always been and that general um chaos is always there yeah and so all these goals that we set for ourselves all the if we just had whiter teeth or little bit more in our bank account whatever it is it doesn't actually speak to the reality of our situation what's really going on and what's really going on is that constant internal struggle that we have with ourselves yeah 
and we just kind of... And that's of, the only work, that's the only thing to do. Yeah, when we distract ourselves with, yeah. with those goals. We distract ourselves with, as soon as I get there, and we then blame I'll be happy. Them. It's the blame thing, too. I like that, like... Yes. It's... it's, it's kid, and, and, and I'm not talking about... It's always an inside job, right? Mm-hmm. That was the cha- chapter, one of my favorite ones in that book, was that, like, it's never out there. It's an inside job, yeah. you know? It's always internal. Mm-hmm. Word. Yeah. All of that strife comes from... Yeah, and I love that, the header on um, chapter 7, hopelessness and death. If we're willing to give up hope, the insecurity and pain can be exterminated. Then we can have the courage to relax with the groundlessness of our situation. This is the first step on the path. Yeah. I love how the gentleness of her, because even people can make too big of a thing out of meditating or, you know, she's, it's, she really, it's like relaxed. Yeah, it's, it's relaxed. It's, relax. it's just like relax into the moment, relax into the sky, relax into the phone ringing. And then even, because I've been meditating for a long time, and uh, I think I How sometimes... How long have you been meditating? Since we opened Vinaigrette Albuquerque that spring, so 2012 I started meditating. Cool. Spring of 2012, so it's been seven years I guess now. But I've, I go in and out, and as you, as again, it's like... I realized I was trying too hard to get to the place because there's a point where you will start to feel completely disembodied and like you're floating and it is truly profound. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little bit, you can get it in acupuncture sometimes, like frequently right. where it's like you're literally, you, you feel, that's why like this whole spiritual thing, it's like, it's to me, I'm like, it's a physical experience more than anything. Like where you're like, whoa, this is a feeling, a feeling of, unity of feeling of you know a scientist would say an atheist would be like oh it's just serotonin and maybe that's the mechanism but I I realized that I starting I was starting to put too much pressure on myself in meditation which is precisely not the point right, right? well so that's that what can she says too. It. so and I love how relaxed her gurus trungpa not even gonna tr- try to pronounce that name <laughs> um, yeah but the idea of just Relax into the out-breath, you know, because Thich Nhat Hanh does more of a breathing in. I know I am breathing in, breathing out. I know I am breathing out, and that works too, but hers is a lot more chill. And I think for someone starting it, and even for me, someone who's overthinking it or over-pushing it, it's great. It's just yeah, the out-breath, relax, you know? And well, then if you're thinking, go, thinking. Right, oh, I'm thinking. Yeah, Excellent. no judgment. And that's yeah. a good one for all day, every day. When you yeah. get up, caught up in those elaborate scenarios. It's so easy for me to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm always stuck in my head. That's my right. Like literally, sometimes like planning elaborate like revenge schemes, right? Like oh, of do, course, we, all the time. We have terrible. Somebody things. cut me off in traffic the other day, and I was planning how their, uh, <laughs> based on the way their car looked, that their tire was definitely going to come off <laughs> at a high speed on I-25, and that was the end of them. And then I just pull myself back, like, whoa, that's a little dark, buddy. <laughs> My goodness. They just cut you off in traffic. It's not like your truck could have gained that speed anyway. Oh. Calm down there, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, man. Like. Yeah. It's so bad. It's just getting constantly stuck in the head and constantly just letting the, the anger and the fear take over instead of just being at loving peace with yourself and your surroundings I feel like one of the things too because I'm an anxious person like I have been since I was a little kid right that's my MO right is so to go, your base state I, you know a, you know adrenaline anxiety 
you know, and it's not working for me anymore. So I'm like, I'm, but it's it's hard to rewire something that's that old and ha- and that habitual to the point of being a physical thing. Uh-huh. Um, like my body's hella used to having like a crazy adrenaline fix. Um, but I feel like a lot of people have anxiety issues in our culture right now because we're all jacked up on on our devices and on technology like it's just a different like when you're looking in a screen when you're constantly getting that you're getting that juice I just feel like then there's a withdrawal that is really I just hear so many people having young people having huge anxiety issues and I think that is one thing for me the realizing that's not gonna work you know I'm gonna blow out my adrenal glands um and just having that feeling you know in your solar plexus is just not good that's what meditation for me that's that fight or flight response is so immediate and so reactive that if I can get meditation in it slows it down a little bit there's a there's a beat there's an opportunity to try something different um that I don't normally have because it just goes off you know for myself because I think you showed me um the Chopra Center and Deepak um what was that like 2015 yeah 16 somewhere in there um and that was my first introduction to meditation at all and what I found for myself was that it allowed me to think more objectively instead of all the little schemes in my head and because I'm always trying to game people. I'm always trying to think, where are they coming from? What do they want out of this situation? What's their angle? Mm -hmm. I'm always trying to see where people are going to go before they go there. And allowing myself that that grace and that space in my head allowed me to quit judging so much because my judgments are, they might be decent when it comes to figuring out hard conversations, but they're not good in everyday life because I'm constantly thinking that people are acting from a place of uh, what I see as like antagonistic to my own aim in that situation. Whereas if I just let people be and whatever their motivation was, it was what it was, meditating really helped me just allow that. And not take it personally, not like, because that's the thing, it's like... But it also, it helped helped me not react and instead uh, calmly judge the situation and just allow it to be what it was without having to think of an exit or a backup. Yeah. Which is super calming. Yeah. Which is great. It's that feeling of like you're the pool and the ripple can move through the pool. Yes. You're not the ripple though. You know, it's moving through. Yeah. It's energy, but but not getting carried away with it. Right. Not getting carried away in the sense that I I'd always feel the the need to uh be so aware of everyone's motivations at all times Mm -hmm. but I don't I really don't I can let people be what they are and if it turns out that it's you know a great experience or a terrible experience it really doesn't matter either way yeah which is cool well and I think restaurant people like we have to be attuned in that way right but it it allows you to if you can chill a little bit it allows you to take the good piece of that Mm-hmm. The piece of that's sensitive, the piece that notices, without the part that then reacts and takes things as an insult or right or well, or a threat to your well-being. A right? threat, right? Mm-hmm. Like instead of thinking of um, 
say like an employee suddenly deciding that this is no longer a situation they want to be in and quitting mm -hmm. instead of thinking about that as you know an affront to myself you know like oh my god like why didn't they want to be here this place is awesome you know what is what's going on instead of being like okay it's time for them to move on and it's mm -hmm. time for me to make a new friend yeah and, and just, that's the impermanence thing yeah it's, it's the impermanence instead of like well, I can't believe they did this. Before. Speaking of, that's not the, the restaurant as the Petri dish. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's not, a, I know there's not an industry in which shit breaks more. Higher oh turnover. God. I mean, yeah. stuff is always going down in flames. Yeah. You know, we're always trying to, you know, every single, and it's, it's kind of like the ultimate Buddhist act, like those sand gardens or, what, or sand things. Yeah. Because every single day, everything gets destroyed, sold, demolished, <laughs> and we do it all again the next day yeah and you know? just redo it the next day <laughs> I got to watch one of those being made um, at the um, museum of art that um, KU had and it was one of the coolest things I've ever seen all of these really intensely purposeful monks were there pouring sand and creating this beautiful mandala and then at the end of it destroyed it and walked away and I was like whoa yeah, that commitment to the moment. Like, it was so beautiful and precise. And then immediately destroying it and not really... They didn't seem to have a uh, feeling either way about it. Yeah. Just kind of like in the moment, that's what they were doing. And then it was done. And then it was time for it to leave. And so it did. The um, It gives me a, a perspective on this thing I've experienced. I can't really even describe it, but since I was a little kid... When I would watch certain things happening, certain people doing something where they were, their, their full attention was just on the task, like just, it will give me the most immense out of the blue pleasure, like physical, like absolute bursting joy in my belly that is like, it's, it, it completely takes me by surprise. And I, it goes back to when I was a little kid, like, and I can remember these moments. I remember when I lived in Milan, there were travel agents then and I was flying down to the Seychelles for our intercession break and he he was folding my the Italians are so precise right they're they're just mm -hmm. like they have such style I mean in Milan especially like tie yeah, everything like... crisp super flim flam but he he was folding my itinerary I mean and he did he folded this page so it was the crisp sound of the page and how he folded it perfectly in thirds and then flattened it perfectly I mean it was like perfect and then he put it in an envelope and the sounds I just it, it was like I was having like a like a, a belly orgasm like I can't yeah. explain it I know it I just, know exactly what you, you know mean what I'm talking about I know exactly what you mean I like love those moments yes and it's like it, and it feels like a break in the space-time continuum where you're just con connecting just completely with someone's love like yes this absolute just appreciation for this visceral moment in which somebody is just presenting an absolutely perfect manifestation of whatever it is they're doing yeah they're just so in it and it's like they the other really weird time that this was like this is the 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 thing i remind myself when we start wanting to categorize experience right we're like mm -hmm. this sucks this is good so like traveling right. sucks right well but this one time i was traveling i and then like within traveling there's certain things that really suck right like when you get flagged in security and they have to go through all your shit that sucks yes but I, that was <laughs> happening to me I was about to miss my flight oh no and then I had this the guy he took out my journal That's, this, is, this is so weird uh, 
and he was like, so he was inspecting everything in my bag with those little things that test for um, the chemical swabs. Yes. Yeah. For explosive yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had my like my journal, which I guess the context of just seeing some random stranger dude with my journal going page by page. And like, oh my god! But for some reason, all of a sudden, it just gave me a massive joy attack. And I was like, "How is this happening?" That's awesome. In the middle of what is stereotypically the worst thing that can happen to you in travel, right? Right. But it wasn't because it was so sweet. Like I could just see this little guy, and he was just doing his little job, page by page, and right. it was kind of adorable. And I was literally like happy the whole rest of the trip from that dumb thing. That's awesome. And so, so it changed the entire yes purpose of so that we just around. Don't shit about the purpose of anything we mm-hmm. need to shut the fuck up and yeah. get out of our own like categories of you know because i'm notorious for that right there's right. things i don't like there's things i do like i don't oh, yeah. want and that's what she talks about too we like you know we cling to the pleasure we you know yes. reject the pain and here was this moment of profound beauty and connection with a total stranger in the middle of what are allegedly the worst things in life right right at least for us like overprivileged whiteies you know what i mean well as we think about like the hassle of it because in our minds it's holding us back from whatever that goal is either getting to the next city or Mm -hmm. whatever it is it's like there's this gate in between for myself weirdly enough those are the moments that I actually really love because there's something about the fact that I'll never get to experience that again and it's such a strange foreign world every time like the last time I flew I think I was really anxious and so I stayed up all night. I couldn't sleep. And then I get there, and I'm maybe an hour early. And I was just sleeping on the floor of the airport with my hoodie over my head and hearing all those sounds and all the strange things as I'm kind of like halfway resting. And I just love the fact that I could be laying there with everyone else just walking around me. And they super didn't care because they're trying to do what they're doing. And I'm laying on the floor of this dirty airport. And I'm just like, <laughs> This is really neat. This is an interesting experience. This is a moment. Yeah. And it probably harkens back to like when my mom was in art school, and so she would be working super late, and we were really young, and I would really need to sleep or something, so I'd be sleeping on my backpack on this hard um, poured concrete floor, getting some rest, and just hearing the sounds in that crazy giant building with the huge ceilings. And so for me, those strange little experiences that are not part of normal life yeah really fun they make you feel alive in a way yeah like our rituals were such a habitual ritualistic and ritual is good because that's an opportunity to sink into the moment of something i think ritual is good but it's also it can be limiting depending yeah cause because we, well like when it's a when we get when it becomes more about the action than than any than than what it means like because i feel like i feel like what we're up against right now is sometimes life doesn't feel real do you know what I mean? And those yes. moments we're talking about are moments when you like feel really alive, like mm-hmm. like the moment before Pema regrouped and threw a rock at her cheating bastard husband. <laughs> it was a moment of, you know, just that expansive "I'm alive" feeling. Like we're this is right. crazy. Like there's a thing that Thich Nhat Hanh says is like the miracle is just walking on this earth. He might be quoted someone else, someone else, but holy balls, like. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. We're these. We're flying. Th- First of all, we're hurtling through space, which yes. is what I'm excited when we read seven lessons. Seven. What is it? Seven brief lessons on physics. Like, we're going through. We're hurtling through space. Space 
fast. Yes. We don't, we're standing on a ball, but we feel a sense of up and down that is not even relevant. Like, it is a completely cuckoo crazy world that we live in, and we're mostly like, oh. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, what I think is super funny and interesting to me is, like, just our... heard about the internet connection. Yes. You know? Uh, like, our own bodies are so incredible. Like, the fact that our inner ear regulates our sense of balance and everything else around us. And we have these incredible, like, our fingers we can feel at such a, a tiny little variation. It's incredible. And yet we spend all of our times instead of marveling at the absolute wonder and then using those incredible gifts walk around in this haze being super upset because one of our Facebook friends you know, was talking some smack on a Facebook post. And you know what? I think and this will come out more through the year in some of our other books is like what I think is happening. We are these synesthetic, multi-sensual beings. We're animals. Mm-hmm. Very smart animals. Or really dumb animals. Uh, I think it's both. I think it's both. Like, like we're incredibly we, intelligent we're, and terribly dumb. We're supposed to experience life in this, in this synesthetic textured way and the one thing about our obsession with screens and and the internet and facebook and instagram is it's it's visual but that's it like it's it's visual and super cerebral in this one way Mm -hmm. like it's missing something it's missing like 80 percent 90 percent of what we are as humans yeah. Which is somewhat, which is also a whole piece of it that we don't even understand. That is, you know, even beyond sort of some of the reductive 19th century, you know, scientific attitudes. Like we don't understand the invisible realm, but we're beginning to understand it in terms of quantum physics and and vibration, kind of. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like we've painted ourselves into a corner that's all about our 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 linear mind understanding of things and and visual right what you you know do you know what I mean well We're absolutely because there's all that other stuff there's a dimension that's completely missing to that experience and I think that's what causes multiple dimensions well multiple absolutely like that's what causes the anxiety and the depression and just general malaise that we feel is because ostensibly it's giving us everything that we need it's connection it's instantaneous gratification we're in the know and we're supposedly connecting with more people than ever and yet we're missing so much and like that wood project that I'm doing in my garage right now and not being on any kind of social platform and just slowly tearing myself away from that sort of thing has brought so much joy to my life that I didn't even know that I needed mm-hmm. but just like the feeling of the grit of the sandpaper and carefully looking at each layer of that piece of wood as I get to a point where the sandpaper is no longer affecting it so I know that I can move up in the uh, grit I guess you know and just like all these cool things that the the smell and yes I am wearing a respirator so I realized after the first time, yeah, I'm just like, then my nose you, is all... You don't need to get a carpenter <laughs> cough like Tony has. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it was, it was just but like so But the smell so of cool. wood is incredible. Yeah. And it's so visceral and yeah. appealing. And just like tearing it down and seeing the, um, the raw pine underneath this really gnarly purple stain. Like all of that is... And the empowerment of it. Because mostly we don't understand how any of this shit really works and we didn't build it. Like it's really right. empowering to build things. Yes, we are, uh, you know, we're visitors in that space. Mm-hmm. And at times I actually get sad because I used to do, you know, I used to code in HTML and I was 
starting to study C++, and, and these are ancient languages that I'm sure no one uses anymore. But um, but at least but I, I I at least felt like I had agency in that realm, mm-hmm. and I don't anymore. Like I don't feel competent in like even if I built something on say Wix or Squarespace or something like that, I don't feel like I would feel confident in it because I didn't code that. I didn't build it. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And so in that case, I feel like a visitor. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, I feel complete agency. And I'm, I'm like thinking about how to um, cold bend steel because I want to create a square base in like quarter inch steel plate so that it look, mimics the bands on the wood. And doing something like that, it just it feels so good to have a plan. And even if that plan fails and I can't do it and I have to ask for help, it still feels great and I still feel engaged with life and everything I'm doing rather than looking at incredible Instagram feeds filled with gorgeous pieces of furniture that are essentially what I'm trying to create here but not having anything to do with those pieces of furniture and even if I were to buy it it would not be the same as Absolutely. working out all those little kinks in my head and just like thinking about it constantly and you know like taking myself away from the stress of life in doing that it's like all right well cool do you you know do you, do i think that i can do it this way do i need to heat the metal up if i do that do i have the tools who do i need to ask for that and those are real connections you know all of a sudden i'm looking at who i need to talk to who i want to work with on this project yeah and creating real not it's only getting out of your head into your hands yeah and creating real bonds and friendships and, and memories through this rather than and mastery, scroll. yeah, mastery of something. You know, my grandma's, my grandma's generation, um, like my grandma and my grandpa, like they could make rugs, they had gardens, they built their house. Like yeah. people just did all kinds of things. Now there might be a DIY trend on Instagram, for instance, but I don't feel like people in general do shit anymore like that. No. Like we spend way, way, way more time doing stuff that's extremely passive. Um, and I think that we, you know, growing up, my mom used to say, and I took this incredibly literally, and it actually terrified me that, or all the parents used to tell their kids that if they watched too much TV, their brain would turn to mayonnaise. That was like a saying. It was yeah, horrific no. and horrifying to me, and I was traumatized by it. I just want to say, mom, it worked. <laughs> um, but well, I'm I mean, like, why thing, doesn't anyone say that anymore? Like, yeah. do, do we really think that the, like this is that much different than television? Like, like we're frying our brains in a way our, mm-hmm. the part of us that wants to be actively creative it's well, a different thing it's it's depressing for me because I have to actively fight it I used to be really into drawing really into printmaking and I realized that I lost the like drive to do that once I got so inundated with all of this incredible imagery because I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, somebody else is already doing this way better than me. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I could never have that skill. It doesn't look that cool. You know, what, what I'm doing is amateur. It's garbage. And, I, you know, just, like, I think it feeds into this kind of negative, the already kind of negative feedback loop that we have about ourselves, or I have about myself. It suddenly gets kind of kicked into overdrive by looking at all these other incredible instances. It's like, what would I add to that conversation? What right. would I add to the world with that? Well, there, and it's a very, like, yeah, that that human tendency to compare ourselves to other people, which uh, the chick who does brain pickings has a great little essay, or she did a, I think it was a commencement address, um, 
about how she was bicycling along and all of a sudden she heard someone behind her coming up faster and so she started like she mm-hmm. started biking faster and faster and faster because this yeah. person was going to you know she got into this very competitive right. comparing place right. and lo and behold the poor guy bicycles by her first of all he's a messenger second of all he's got one of those nerdy battery assists like Jeff has. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so he's got like an auto-powered whatever bicycle. Right. It's it, it, it. Her point was just how how pointless it is. We evacuate ourselves out of our own experience. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, when we compare ourselves to anyone, and so much of the business model of a lot of what we or just the basis for social media is about constantly comparing ourselves to other people and I feel like that side of it it's not all that there's a lot of good things too but there is a hell of a lot of that right yeah um because for restaurants you know we can just like it's completely changed for the the business in a way and there's so much like keeping up with the joneses about it yeah and there's there's just such a like a last friday I went to this was my moment of like calling myself on my own stuff, which is that I'm upset at our customers for constantly getting to go, not taking lunch anymore, not, mm-hmm. you know, work, you know, eating while they're sitting behind a screen, like all of these things. But I've got to catch my own shit on my tendency to not take time for meals, right? And to not mm-hmm. go into restaurants and sit down and, and experience the different kind of joy of just being around people because that, right. we're so inundated with connections and emails and stuff like we don't think that we need the social network of physical anymore like physical Mm -hmm. community yeah but it's so different and I stopped at Gabriel's on my way instead of like getting a coffee and a scone or something and then going straight to work Uh I stopped at Gabriel's because I really was craving a cowboy steak so at 3 p.m. in the afternoon I sat at the bar at Gabriel's and had a massive steak a cowboy steak with awesome. green chili and an enchilada. Nice. It was so awesome. And the like bartender was so sweet. And like, I was, that was good medicine for me, you know, but it's something I would never normally do. And yet I'm annoyed at our customers for, for, for this, that same right, rush. For, for not doing that. And yet we have to remind ourselves to do that. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. Like when I start feeling this, like, um, tightness in my being like the, my soul is wound up I, I realize this because I've been going too fast and too hard and one of the ways I stop it is to go get a beer by myself um, it doesn't matter where just somewhere where nobody knows me and I don't know them and I just sit there without the phone, without music, without anything and just listen to the sounds and watch people and just kind of see what they're doing and in doing that I start to unwind alright, I need to be a little bit less uh, just focused on whatever that thing is that I'm so wound up about and whether or not it's family life or the, you know, the house and all the things that I need to fix on it it's just like, just chill watch people see what they're doing and usually I'll find some like older person who's sitting there doing the same thing that I'm doing but they've had years of doing that so they're master of it and they're just so calm and relaxed and it's always really inspirational to me like I want to be that I want to find that yeah it's just sort of chill balance it's like I am here right now doing my thing and then nothing else matters absolutely like just being those moments of pleasure and that's what food 
that's when I remember how important it is what we do, just because food has always been that moment. Like, for people, typically, it was a break in the day, a yeah. break in the labor, a moment to come together. Because um, part of why I stopped at Gabriel's instead of doing something fast is... You know, I was having this discussion with Jeff's brother, Kevin, who had just been to a place in Tokyo, this new bakery that had only one employee. There was no, and that person was only baking in the back uh-huh. in sort of like a plastic box, a plexiglass sort of walled off area where they were baking. And then every, every other thing was happening automated. It was like... Uh, you checked yourself out. There was a laser that registered what the the food was. You put a clear plastic tray out. Like it was like there was just no human connection at all. And I realized that oh, part man. of us uh, we're all guilty of thinking that the human element is a nuisance. Mm-hmm. That that anything, which which brings us sort of back full circle. Like what does that even mean if? Like, this idea that everything should be faster is kind of a fallacy to begin with. It's mm-hmm. not where happiness is, you know? No. But I think it also is, it started out being like, okay, if we can speed up the process, we will have more time for ourselves. But we forgot that as human beings, we just will constantly fill that space with more doing. Because it's I what feel we like do. people have less time than they did when they had to kill the pig, smoke the pig, mm-hmm. and you cook the pig. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy to me. Where's people's time gone? There's this imperialism of time. Yeah. It's disappeared because in it's making our lives up so much. easier, we thought that we could get more actions done per hour than we previously could. And so, while those amateurs back in the day were... <laughs> spending hours on this mastery of either you know the animal husbandry all the way to the butchering of it you know those guys were spending way too much time on that silly stuff we can now buy whatever prime cut that we want and turn it into whatever amazing thing based on a recipe that we read off the internet and then at the end of it there's this emptiness because we don't have that mastery we don't have that love or understanding and we don't truly give life time anymore well, and that's like, because when, I think what we're doing a little bit is substituting hurry and busyness for happiness and, mm-hmm. and thinking it's close enough. Because, you know, I can get going where, and you, you know, you feel like a top, but there's a, there's a sort of drunkenness to it. There's a sort of, there's an addiction to it where you mm-hmm. just get going where you're, you're checking, you got... 18 different tabs open, you're emailing, you're calling, you're doing so many things, but then the, it's like the day has passed like, and it didn't even exist. Exactly, I yeah, never the day's had just gone. I never had any purchase on a single moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, I think, is happening to all of us. Oh, yeah, well, and that's what Pima is talking about when mm-hmm. she's saying that we're constantly attempting to call the babysitter, which is whatever that new task is that we're just grasping at, grasping at, grasping at, so we don't have to think about our physical condition, where we are, actually living in the present moment, which mm-hmm. is one of the hardest things that we could ever do. It's so weird that that's so hard. I think Thich Nhat also touches on that, mm-hmm. is just the inability that we have living in the present moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's all about like breathing in. I know that I'm breathing in. I love that. Like, yeah, that's, that and, is and, super And literally cool. he boils everything down to that. Like... Like, he, you know, there's all the teachings and, and there's What's, such a history of, of that, like, Buddhist 
stories and teachings and uh, the, the Maras and the Skandas and the whatevers. But mm-hmm. but he seems to always and 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 him too bring it back to breathing in. I know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out. I know it's always back to the breath. Like mm-hmm. just that's that that is our kind of it's like our lifeline. It's the lifeline to the moment. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it really is mm-hmm. our literal lifeline. Mm-hmm. Like, breathing in, breathing out. It's good shit. And enjoying it. What is the book that he... I think you recommended it to me, that My one in which he's you, always coming back to that. Like You every, are here. You are here, yes, <laughs> yes. You are here. I loved that. It was yeah. so cool because it forced me to not have any bullshit because it was constantly reminding me of the breath, of well, the pattern. You and I have talked about this before, like... We are mostly living in concepts, and there's a whole bit in Pima about that. Like, we're mostly unhappy because we wake up ensnared in this elaborate concept that isn't even real. Like, the moment is all that's real, mm-hmm. and and then, but we live in these concepts that we've created, and they give us, you know, depending on how we say we are relative to these concepts, then we're happy or we're not happy, right? Right. But it's, it's, it's all a complete abstraction. It's not, it's, it's not real. Because the realness is just right now, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. Yes. Like, you know, you know you're bankrupt, breathing in, breathing out. Like, it's like all these things that we say that like, and even, even sort of our tradition in the West of therapy it sort of therapizes everything where we're now we're in a concept of you know some sort of issue you know mm-hmm. we all have issues and now you know right when again it's like divorcing ourselves from living the life it's it's either framed within the context of the issue or it's framed within the context of our job or whatever it is but we're never just present throughout all of it and that's why I really feel like none of us really know who we are and it takes a lot like I think you and I have been delving into this for a while of like really learning who we are as people yeah and I love that um but it's never going to be given to us in words that's the thing no words are like we words aren't reality either they're 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 a tool they're a tool and they're a very easy way for us to lie but they're not like the answer is never going to be given in a simple declarative sentence. Like, we so want that. And there mm-hmm. are ones that really work, like, you are here, or breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I re- regrouped and threw a stone at him. Right, exactly. <laughs> but, but, like, because <laughs> like, I love words, and books are all about words, but they're the, really what they're about is the truth they point to and the life that they might empower beyond the words. But, like, because we're never going to get... The pretty little package wrapped up in a bow that's like meaning of life in in 10 words you know right one well, like we've talked about before too is that what might be the epiphany for one person is not for the other person and every single person has to find that for themselves and it's a very visceral um, body experience in which you have that aha moment where you suddenly find yourself clear in your footing clear in your space and know what you need to do to go forward with whatever it is you want to do. You know, that's really interesting because it's totally, like, I could have read any of this stuff and I did read a lot of this stuff in my 20s and I related to it in a very different way because when you're younger, life just feels more 
like a given. Mm-hmm. It feels more like 100% real. Whereas yeah. now it feels like the most ethereal shit ever to me. Like, and I don't know when that happened, but it feels much more, all of it feels so ethereal and airy and, and, and not, not so structured and, and hard edged and heavy. Like mm-hmm. you just like, this is how it is, and this is the way it is, and this is real, and that's how I thought. Just in, in, in instinctively, that's just how of you course, kind of see the world when you're younger. You don't have enough life experience to realize how much of a grasp you don't have on everything. Yeah, exactly. And you've got just enough to think like, that you I got it. I miss it sometimes. Oh, I miss it so it... <laughs> much. Now, you know, people always ask, "Would you, you go totally back?" Have your head up your ass, but it's like a nice yeah. perspective, oddly enough. It's oh, like... for sure, it's comforting. But when people ask, you know, would you go back? I, I always answer, absolutely not. Hell to the no. No. No, it was never. actually brutal. But but the belief that it was so much more black and white, you well, know? What would be kind of fun is to have that belief now, mm-hmm. which is an, an impossibility. Or to be able to swap for a day both ways, you know? like Right. I feel like if I had known what I know now back then, like I could have saved myself a world of hurt. But there was oh, man, no yeah. way. Actually, that's not true because you had to go through the world of hurt to get to, know to the what other you know side. Now. Yeah. So like I could read all this stuff and I could register it, but now it's like it feels so much more true mm-hmm. and more more true than any law of gravity even you know like yeah there's these truths beyond truths um yeah what really reminds me of um the herman hess book steppenwolf because at the very end of that i think the magician or something is saying that there's time there's time enough in time for a little joke or something like that massive paraphrasing but what i love about that book is that in my early 20s i read that many different times because I absolutely loved the um, the bitterness and the idea of isolation and loneliness that the titular character the Steppenwolf felt and it wasn't until I was moved here in 2012 when I was 27 that I read that book again looking to find that same kind of like bitterness I guess I was like yeah you know, all angry mad and um, and I read it and I finally got the redemption where which I somehow missed this on multiple reads, you know, at the very end of it when the the magician guy's like, you idiot, did you think that all that there was to life was this bitterness and anger and just feeling ripped off? Don't you realize that there's so much more and there's still time for so much more? And like, on the other side of that is the idea that life is about winning. Yes. And I think... Or not on the other side of that. That's the same. It's, it's the same side of like, yeah. like the other side of the coin or the same side of the coin. Like it's you know either it's about bitterness and loss or it's about winning. It's not about winning either. It's not. And I think that was what had to get thoroughly flushed out of my system was because I had been on this little achiever train, you know, went to Harvard. Right. Like, I'm like, I can outwork anyone. I can always win. And I always and I did for a while. But then the wheels started to fall off of that cart for me because I was miserable. I also think that the wheels started to fall off on that cart, too, because those kind of wins weren't enough anymore. No, because they're not. 
after not... you do that for so long, suddenly it's like the, the value of them diminishes. Well, and after you do it for so long, leveraging the real richness, right? Like mm-hmm. when I was younger, I had this, you knew, I was winning, but I didn't realize that they had it was actually coming from a richness beyond that it was coming from soul it was coming from family it was yeah and I started to just pay attention to the result instead of it's like the the goose with the golden egg like Mm -hmm. I started to pay attention to the golden egg and not the goose anymore um and and I was all about the achieving and the results and and it and slowly my own taking care of myself was getting eroded and also right. having the, the framework and the, and the foundation um and I always do that though like we <laughs> right. that's my thing like and yeah. that's my work in this lifetime is to kind of look at that because I even like I got off of that hamster wheel after Harvard and I moved it to 10 acres that were searingly empty and scary and it was just you know you can't hide from yourself in New Mexico that's what you I sure always can. tell people like, you sure can you better go somewhere else if you don't want to deal with your stank ass mm-hmm. but like I did that and I you know and I feel like that was the beginning of all of this stuff but I still have to remind myself take care of the the goose yeah take care of the goose take care of yourself and I think that that's what's I guess that's why your childhood is so important because you don't realize what your parents and your family and everyone around you is bringing to you with that richness of life that you don't even see. And it's when you're on your own and you have to create it for yourself that you completely forget that that's a thing. Yeah. And then it's, it takes a while to learn how to rebuild that, bring oh it back. Oh my God, well that's why I always say like, I feel like all of these restaurants have been about recreating that that glow of home for me. Yeah. Like it, it was, it is a memory. It is an emotional place inside of me. It is a physical thing I can put my finger on, but like that glow of home, mm-hmm. that was my baseline reality that I took for granted. Yeah. But then it was gone and it was the most devastating thing ever when I went away to school. It was like, it was the ocean that I swam in and then all of a sudden fish out of water, you know? Right, and it's just gone. Mm-hmm. And well, I've basically been trying to recreate that. And I can totally attest to that magic. Like when I spent that week out in Bellingham, like what your mom has created is so gorgeous yeah. and so wonderful. She's the master. It's a lifetime's achievement essentially right there. It's mm-hmm. that that space that she's built yep and she is a master of figuring out a gorgeous space and creating the she's the ultimate like experience yeah like the conductor you know of like and I think for it goes to how sometimes our losses my mom's dad died when she was really young well not really young but at a formative time in her life she was Uh 18 or 19 that's a very formative time for sure so for her making a home it was like a protection. It was like a safe sphere, you know, within which you were protected from the vagaries and the, and the injustices of life. Yeah, right? yeah. And, and that's like very, very palpable. You can feel that. It doesn't feel fear-driven, but then there was, it, it was her solution that came out of fear, you know? Right, yeah, but it was so like, the, there was a fear at the base of it that then created this gorgeous solution. Yeah, or just, yeah, like a real desire to create, you know, create home as this, 
this deeper thing, you know? Um, yeah. Which I think is incredible. Like, I definitely, when I saw that space, I could see absolutely in all of these places the various like influences and how these things came to be, and it took on a deeper meaning for me. Like, this is where these things came from. I can see the wellspring, so yeah. now I can see where this is going and where it needs to go. Yeah. Which is so cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'm like, a, I'm a businesswoman but I, all my good ideas come from my mom, I think. I mean, all my, not necessarily the good ideas, the, the inspiration, though. The, right. Because the, 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 every business is really after an idea of a utopia. Like, every, every business has some vision of a perfect world in it, whether it's explicit or not, right? Uh-huh. And... It's always the idea of a solution to a perceived problem. Yeah, and, and or ju- yeah, just a vision of... It, 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 it's not most people didn't even realize it that it's there but it is like mm-hmm. it's buried in your DNA like your perfect world right and, and that is hugely influenced by my mom yeah well it's super cool yeah. I love it and I know for myself I was super inspired after seeing all of that it's like man this is this is a way to live like I feel like <laughs> that space out there and like this when things fall apart like these books amazing recommendations on how to just let go if I can create a space there like in my being and in my mind to just allow myself to let go and a perfectly beautiful and healing space like that I think I will be where I want to be well my mom is because my mom 90% of what makes that space what it is is the gardens Mm -hmm. and it's just she just planted one tree after another I remember when none of that was there and it was just like tree by tree like none of that was there that's so cool the gardens yeah yeah so she was so proud because she knows she follows you on Instagram <laughs> when she saw you planting your trees. I am so excited about yeah, my trees. Yeah. I'm so excited. Like, I've actually been getting a little worried just because they look fine. They're doing fine. I'm sure they're fine. But I'm starting to get this trepidation. Like, are they going to come back? Yeah. It's, it's been winter. Times. It's been a hard winter. But they've had plenty of, they might, you know, if the, I don't think it's, it hasn't been any colder in a way than we sometimes get. Um, right. So if it was it was if it was cold hardy for our whatever our region is, I always forget it. But I think they're supposed to be good then, for then it. Then they're going to be happier than any other year because that snow. I mean, we finally have had the the kind of snow and well, the, the we got the, the root soaking, which yeah. is great because I know when I dug into that ground, it was so hard and terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so, like, well, at least I got a lot of moisture what and hopefully it's down. What kind of trees did you plant? I got a cherry tree and a peach tree. Peach tree is gonna crush the cherry tree. I'm scared for the cherry tree. The cherry because tree. I have not had luck with cherries at the farm. For it's like we didn't have luck when my parents bought their first house, um, in uh, like a block away from the capital. They planted two cherry trees and an apricot tree. The apricot tree is Crushing. massive yeah. and it, it almost expands over the entire yard. It's so cool. Two cherry trees are dead as hell and long gone. Yeah, I don't know. Cherries are just, they're, they're native. They're better off in kind of milder climates. I think it might make it though. But um, I've had like all the things that I planted that were like a pear tree, very British, you know, like, mm-hmm. and the cherry tree have not flourished. Whereas like we have like the apricots, apples, and, and peaches do really well in New Mexico. So yeah, I, and of. apricot trees are beautiful. Like their shape. So, yeah, they're so. so cool. Like my mom's apricot tree is incredible. It's in, right in the middle of the yard, and it ju- it got so big. Like some of the branches need um, 
little things to prop them up so that they don't break. But it just kind of expanded over the entire thing. So the middle of like the side yard is totally shaded by this super cool massive tree. And then you can put picnic tables under it. And yeah, no, I love that's like the neat. tree at Vinny in the patio is an yes. apricot tree. Yeah. They're just like they do and the flavor of like those stone fruits here because it just concentrates so much is mm-hmm. just they're a little shriveled looking but they're hella good. They're so good. Yeah. Of course, everyone, it's like, it's always like what, either no one has any fruit or everyone has so much fruit. You're, right, so much it's out of control. Yeah, and like everyone's trying everywhere. to give you a bag of apricots or peaches or there's none at all. <laughs> Will you please take these? I can't just let them go to rot, but I can't have any more in my life. <laughs> yep. All right. I think so. I think, I think Jeff's ready. I think that was awesome. Yeah, agreed. Do you want to just like... Uh, Yourselves separately or together at least because we've got to launch into it and there's two voices and we okay yeah 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 and then and then we'll also we can cut them back and forth which this will probably be at the beginning i would imagine yeah 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 we'll, we'll play it all backwards we'll, yeah we'll, we'll, <laughs> back so mask it this is aaron wade uh, whatever i mean something um okay before you can introduce each other and the other you know Okay, well, okay, I'll just say, hey, this is Aaron Wade. Um, I own Vinaigrette and Modern General, and we're doing a book club this year. Um, I'm here with Avery Pearson. I'm Avery. Um, I am the general manager of Vinaigrette and Modern General. Um, Some of my monikers are A to the Tether, A Train, A Verado, (laughs) Spaves, many different names, many different hats. Nice. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, currently I'm wearing a pretty awesome uh, yellow Abercrombie and Fitch hat. What's a beanie? And it's dirty, and I am not entirely sure how to clean it. Which I'm really sad because I know if I run it through the washer, it's over, and this hat is dead. But I'm not sure if I hand wash it if I'm going to do a good job because I'm terrible at laundry, and I don't know why. I try so hard, <laughs> but I break everything. <laughs> yeah. All right. Is that good enough? Oh yeah, we're yeah. we're sitting here at Modern General in Santa Fe. We have a location in Albuquerque too. There's book club happening down there. I hope today, um, but be. but we're we're <laughs> in Santa Fe on the 27th of February. 27th of February. Beautiful sunny afternoon, and we are loaded up with phytonutrients right now. I've got a spicy carrot and chai. I just spilled my chai all over the table. <laughs> it started off with a bang. Yeah, um, exciting. Yeah, we're about to launch into some book talk. Beautiful, sunny day, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Couldn't yeah. be more perfect. Finally feels like spring is here. Oh, um, next book will be, I believe it's A Tale for the Time Being, is our March book, which is a perfect... So. It's going to be a perfect segue because there's this whole... Um, sort of storyline and theme of quantum mechanics and also Buddhism and the idea of a moment being a particle of time and I love it. Um, I am super excited. I've been eyeing that book for a long time. Oh my gosh, it's a page turner and it's also just so sweet and well written and just gets you thinking. So that's for next month. Very excited. Awesome. Have our sound guy, Jeff, over here. Yeah. Huge deal, big deal. Um, VIP of the sesh for sure. Where we? How'd we do? We did great. I think that's gonna be good. Yeah, I think we're gonna be good.